I'm Julie Gould and this is the Science Mamas podcast where we'll be sharing tales and tips from the lives of mamas in science. So this is the first episode of the Science Mamas podcast. Welcome. I'm Julie Gould and I'm going to be interviewing a series of amazing parents in science. Not just science mamas but also science papas because let's face it they are impacted by children as well. And I just wanted to share a little bit about why I've decided to start this podcast. Partly because I am a mama myself and partly because in my career as a science careers journalist, I have had many young people, mostly women, approach me to say, you know, what is the best time to get pregnant in a career in science? How do I negotiate my maternity leave? How do I negotiate project ownership when I'm on my maternity leave? And can I bring my child to the lab, to the conference, to the meeting, to the dinner, to the classroom? How can I balance my fieldwork with my family commitments? How much paternity leave am I entitled to? What impact will taking paternity leave have on my career? Does having a family mean that people think I'm not serious about my career as a scientist? These are just a few of the questions that I've been asked and I thought it was a great time to start answering them. So over the course of a series of interviews with some wonderful science mamas and papas, I hope to be able to answer some of these questions. There are so many men and women who are both parents and scientists and they have made it work and they have been very inventive in the ways that they have made it work. And so I hope this podcast will be a way to share some of those wonderful inventive methods of making a success of being a science mama or a science papa. So to kick off this series of interviews, I have a chat with science mama Karen McGregor. She's a science mama turned science mama advocate and works with the Daphne Jackson Trust in the UK to support women and men who want to return to research after taking a career break. And we talk about those who maybe predictably most often need that extra bit of support, why it's so important to support these people and what that support can look like. The Daphne Jackson fellowships that are offered by the Trust are open to both men and women, but the reality is the majority of the fellowships we offer are for people who've taken their break to raise a family, and the majority of those do go to women because women do still primarily take on the lead in childcare. So it's usually running at about 90% to 95% of the fellowships that we give out go to women. There has been, in recent years, there's definitely been an increase in the number of men who are inquiring to us and who are then carrying on and applying for the fellowships. So I can see a trend where that will increase. How long do they take a break for? To be eligible for a fellowship, the minimum is that you have to have been away from research for two years, but the reality that we see is probably closer to five years most people end up taking out. Is there a particular point during a scientist's career that the majority of people take their career break to have families. Some people take their career break when they have their first child. 
there's also a significant number where they have their first child, take a period of maternity leave, return, and are managing with one child. But once the second one comes along, things are much more complicated. It just changes the whole maths and family situation. I think the longest career break the Trust has ever done is 21 years. So that was more children had actually been through school. The whole process. And it, it certainly holds true that, you know, we see people who plan to have a career break who do think well now for various reasons now is the right time for me to start a family and actively go about planning it for most people they don't actually plan to take a career break things just happen there may be some health issues with either yourself or the child or you just actually discover that actually I don't want to return I want to have this time that is a once in a lifetime thing And some people end up on a career break straight after their PhD. Some people have done one or two postdocs. We've had people as well who've got to much higher levels before they've taken their career break. So there's a whole range of people that we work with. Why is it so important to support these women? My background is biomedical science, so I probably know those statistics best. If you go through and do the statistics, for the people doing PhDs, it's maybe up to 60% are female. If you look at first postdocs, it's probably still about 50%. But as you go up the career, the proportion of women compared to men just drops significantly. And by the time you get to professorships, it's you know runs at about 10 to 15% are women. So obviously something is going on that is not something about the research environment or things that are happening in their lives that are meaning women are lost to the system. Obviously, it costs a lot of money to train these people in the first place. A lot has been invested in them, so it just seems a terrible waste that they aren't able to use their talents in the workplace. So one way, rather than just training more people, is to obviously return the people who've already had the training, who've slipped out of the system. Are there any stats to show how many men and women need support when they take leave to have a a family? mothers and fathers who've completely stepped away from research and need support to return. They're just a big unknown quantity. I mean, a lot of them would have left and will be happily doing other things and not necessarily wanting to return, but how many actually want to return? It's just a big unknown quantity. How have you seen the system change in order to provide this additional new support for these these leavers who are potentially going to return? From my point of view, I can see that universities are thinking really hard about what they're doing to support their researchers and there's been some really good schemes that are coming through from different universities and there's been a much better sharing of good practice and things and all universities now are thinking about how they support their researchers but also I think it's really good that people are actually just thinking about the numbers every time someone goes to do something now they're always thinking well you know we have to collect data on how many women are doing this how many men are doing this which therefore makes them think, because every time they produce figures and go, well, hang on, we've got 80 men and only five women, is there something going on here? Could we have more women? Why haven't we got more women? What sort of support, then, does the Daphne Jackson Trust offer its fellows in particular? Do you have any examples that you could offer? We mainly note that once you've stepped back completely, our fellows or people who are applying to us have really lost a lot of confidence. They've kind of lost that ability to upsell themselves when they're applying for jobs. And we get a lot of talk in the training courses that we're doing with the fellows about um, imposter syndrome and things. They just feel it's, it's 
they feel it quite challenging at first to be able to regain those skills in, you know, speaking up and saying, this is my opinion, especially if it's about the science behind things, because they feel, having stepped back, that, you know, their knowledge isn't necessarily entirely up to date. And so we do a lot of training with them in terms of getting them to rebuild their confidence. The other thing we offer them is that throughout the application process and even as they go on to their fellowship, they'll have a designated member of staff at the Trust who's their fellowship advisor, who's their kind of one-to-one contact and basically is there to act in kind of a mentoring role and it gives them the opportunity to ask all those really silly questions. They might not want to ask their supervisor or other people at the university they're looking to hold their fellowship. They can kind of sound us out and also they want to portray to their supervisor all the, all, all the positive things about them and things like that and say, yes, you know, this is really the research. I want to stay with your group. But, you know, having that independent mentor is also somewhere they can sound out ideas because we always encourage everyone to have a plan A and a plan B and a plan C. All the fellowship advisors as well are ex-researchers, you know, most of whom have families and things or at least understand that you need to fit your life in around your work and can be there to give tips and advice and just really just say... Yes, you can do this. Well, hopefully that's what this podcast will offer people as well, is, yeah. is to share maybe some of those silly questions that you mentioned or some of those stories about imposter syndrome feelings and that people will feel comfortable to say, yes, yeah. I can do this, whatever the situation might be. So for anyone who's listening, at whatever stage of their career they are, whether it be PhD or full-time professor, What advice do you have for mothers and fathers and mothers and fathers-to-be when it comes to taking a career break and coming back into research? I think if it's right for you to step away and have a break, then just get on and do it. There are ways to come back from taking a career break and there is lots more support out there than there ever used to be. You can make it work. Everything in life is a juggling act in some way, shape or form. It might be a bit challenging for a while, while everything gets set up. And the really important thing is when you need help, ask for it. You don't need to stay silent about trying to manage things. There are opportunities there. Talk to your supervisor, your PI, line manager. Even if you think they're not, they may well be very open to the idea that you just manage your work in a slightly different way to support your life. Thank you, Science Mama Karen McGregor. If you've got a story to share or a question to ask about being a science mama, a science papa or a science parent, then please do get in touch. You can contact me through the website www.sciencemamas.com or you can send me an email at thesciencemamas at gmail.com. I love my science mama. I love my science mama.